This week on The Book Drop, we offer up titles about food for the latest OPL Reading Challenge category, and we talk about our favorite off-the-wall flavor combinations for Query of the Week. This is The Book Drop. Hello, and welcome to The Book Drop, Omaha Public Library's podcast about books, our community, and the joy of reading. I'm Erin Dewar, the Readers and Writers Librarian for OPL, and I'm at our Benson branch. Hi, I'm Michelle Carlson, Book Club Librarian, and I work at the W. Clark Swanson branch. Hello, this is Anna Wilcoxon. I am at the Downtown branch, and I work as the Diversity and Inclusion Librarian for OPL. Uh, Coming up at the library, we have a really sweet event. Uh, It's titled Family Favorites Recipe Swap. Very timely for uh, the season that we are in right now. On Saturday, December 16th from 1 to 4 p.m., you can head to our genealogy and local history room to share your family recipes and also uh, get some from other people too and expand your your, uh, recipe toolkit there. So uh, it's just an open house where you can bring um, your own family recipes, share the stories with them. You can share them in advance via a link on our website. Check out our events page for that info Um, or just drop in if you don't want to submit a recipe. Also, we'll have refreshments and you can also feel free to bring in samples of your own baking skills, which is really sweet. And also everyone that contributes a recipe will be entered into a drawing for a copy of the book from the Family Kitchen by Gina Philibert Ortega. Super cute. I like that. Very fun. And so speaking of uh, family recipes or just family connections to food, uh, I'm curious if you guys have any uh, stories related to your family and food, whether that's like a family recipe, moments that you remember in the kitchen with fam. I feel like my family was so food centric that uh, my mom was baking all the time. We always had cookies or muffins or cakes, like just constant constant like treats around but we also we did not have like like soda or like sugary cereals so there was like some I don't know limits but I guess the one thing I thought of was actually not really food related but it's a weird thing that my family does it is food related but it's not about a recipe um so I guess growing up my mom knew had some friend whose last name was Baxter and she would always take like the middle piece of whatever like anything that's like a square or a rectangle uh so anytime like if there's like a like the crustless piece like the crustless part of a brownie or if you have a rectangular pizza like the middle piece without the crust is like the Baxter piece so that's what my family calls <laughs> the middle uh, piece of something that doesn't have a crust it's like do you want the Baxter piece which is really random but um my mom I guess resented this or a friend of hers for always taking the middle piece of something when they were growing up that's so funny. I think more people like the edges, right? I mean, I like the so, edges, yeah. but I think maybe she was mad more about on the, the principle, like the entitlement uh, to the middle. Yeah, the middle that's, piece. that's, that's like, a choice. That's a choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't feel like I grew up in a food family per se. I, I grew up, my parents both, my parents divorced when I was young, so I feel like my parents were mostly working at night. And so I grew up on, a, this sounds terrible. I grew up on a lot of fast food or I was also a very picky eater and my dad would just like make me whatever I would eat, which I really appreciated. Um, I do feel like both my parents gave me a sweet tooth. My dad 
and this like was from his childhood and his family like we always had to have like a dessert or a sweet thing at the end and my dad called it party so he was always like let's get something for party (laughs) and it would like just be like some kind like a cake or or like donuts or something just from the store really simple things but I feel like I don't eat dessert a ton anymore but like I generally I have like little sea salt caramels that I get I eat one after dinner or I now that it's almost Christmas time those chocolate oranges that break into chocolate slices I just will take I'll eat one slice after dinner so I feel like the food tradition I got from my parents is that everybody loves sweet things (laughs) and I've learned to curb it into nice proportion or nice portions oh Michelle I think you're muted well I can't wait for you to hear about the book that I read for this challenge because hopefully it'll help I don't know understand a little bit more about our stigma around fast food but anyways um I don't know when I going back to the most like more the the recipe part of it like and also kind of the the memories of the in the kitchen is like the classic of baking chocolate chip cookies from scratch with my mom. Um, And I, you know, she says it's her own recipe and like, maybe it is, but I'm also pretty sure it's like a Phoebe Phoebe Buffet thing where it's Nestle Toll House. It's like (laughs) type of thing. So, um, but either way they're, they always come out super delicious. And we like had that giant bowl that we mixed it all in and like, you know, the muscle memory of like stirring that and everything wooden spoon and all and everything. So yeah, it's a nice I f- memory. I forgot about that episode of friends, but it also reminds <laughs> me of, do you remember the save by the bell one where they make the, it was like oh, the early, sauce, the pasta sauce that it's like a whole big production. They like go into production yes. and then they find out that it's like a ragu or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Say by the bell was crazy. Now that I think about it, that was an Classic. insane episode. Uh, throwback to our conversation, or what I brought up as my my Roman Empire of protagonists that are villains. Zach oh. Morris. Okay, villain. we're going way <laughs> tangent here, but have you seen the reboot of it? I haven't actually. It knows that Zach is the villain, so Zach is now <gasps> nice. the governor of California. What? And Zach is one of the dads, is the dad of one of the main characters. And the show knows that Zach is the villain. It's amazing. It is one of the most fully like um like realized and like understanding of its like uh original content reboots mm. I've ever seen. It's actually like really, really brilliant. Very nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a good pitch. Okay. So there's your random pitch for the <laughs> by the bell <laughs> yeah. reboot on Peacock. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, which segues perfectly into what we're talking about today. It doesn't at all. Uh, today we're talking about books about food. This is the last episode that we're going to do for our reading challenge for 2023. Starting in 2024, we have a whole new set of categories, which will be exciting to get into. Uh, but our, ep- our topic today is books about or featuring food. So, uh, and I get to kick us off. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know why I struggled with this challenge. Like, I read a book early in the year that I talked about, I think, on our road trip episode about a food truck. It was a YA book about a food truck. Um, But when I was, like, looking at all the books that I read this year, I don't tend to read a bunch of stuff that involves food, which is weird because I love eating and I love food. (laughs) But I don't pick it up as a theme, I guess, very often. Um, So I went and read a bunch of graphic novels yeah anna 
Well, maybe it's because all the books that were about food this year were about cannibalism. And that's yes. why you didn't read any <laughs> books that were about and food. Just yeah, I, I thought about those and I was like, I feel like that's not what we're talking about. Like <laughs> When we're talking about food, we don't. You can read that. Sure. If people's eating, if it's if someone's consuming it, I guess it's food. So I guess that would count. But I right. didn't want to bring that into the conversation. <laughs> so I went and wanted to see what there was in the graphic novel uh, arena for food stuff. And I found several and I'll talk about two of them today. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Onion Skin by Edgar Camacho. Uh, this is a graphic novel. I think it was originally written for a younger audience, but to me it feels it felt very not there's nothing really adult about it, but the characters are adult and I find it to be more of an adult and we catalog it as adult. Um, but written by a Mexican author um, and then translated by that author into English. So this is about these two people who meet just like on a random night out drinking. They're kind of become fast friends. They have the same favorite band. And the woman, Nira, is just kind of doesn't have a plan to life. She's living in a broken down food truck on just like a friend's property. And then Rolando is, I think, a computer programmer who just got let go from his job after like seemingly having a breakdown because he hated his job so much so he he went out his friends like dragged him out of his house finally to go drinking and he meets nira and they just seemingly decide to like hey let's i have this food truck i don't both of them are like we don't know what we're doing our lives so they decide to fix use rolando's savings to fix up this food truck and then take it across the country the the graphic novel really plays with like timeline it will like introduce the characters and then it jumps forward to what's kind of happening more in like present day of when they're in the food truck and they're having these adventures and then it'll jump back and forth to like the development of their friendship i think they are basically eventually a romantic couple but to me that's like not a huge plot of it so um because this so it takes place in mexico they they fix up this food truck they drive kind of all over mexico to different food truck festivals and different things but because of that and because of this like kind of quirky like storyline elements, it reminded me of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like Rolando has like these kind of maybe drunk but like mystical visions of things. Um, they eventually anger a rival food truck uh, that has a, a food truck gang is the only thing I can describe of them that like... <laughs> Nira has these like special plants that she uses for seasoning of their food and this rival food truck gang steals these plants and then they go on like a chase to get the plants back. It's very wild and quirky and uh, a kind of wonderful ride in like one of these weird elements, but also just the like playing with timeline I thought was really inventive and interesting. They seemingly, Nira and Rolando really like to cook but it's not like a thing that they were going out to do. They just happen to have a food truck and one of them is really good at cooking. And so they're like, we're going to do this. Um, so there's like very specific themes about certain foods. But I feel like in the food truck is the main setting of the book. But I feel like the food specifically is less of the point, although it is a main theme of the book and like the protection of these recipes and these seemingly they're not magic but they seem like magic because like they're these very special plants that are from Nira's grandparent or grandmother to make the food so um food is still very central but I feel like it's not I feel like this quirky road trip uh adventure story is more of the main theme so 
this is a quick read. I read it, you know, in one sitting, as you do with a lot of graphic novels. So that is Onion Skin by Edgar Camacho. Michelle. All right. So uh, first up, I'm going to talk about my nonfiction pick. And at first, I'll say that I read a couple books about food. There's lots of romance books out there that involve food, bakeries, all that kind of stuff. So if that's what you want to do for this challenge, there's lots out there. Um, and I read a couple, but then I was like, I don't know what else is out there. You get that itch to find <laughs> other books. And I went through and found like eight other titles that I wanted to read. Um, but I'm really glad that I uh, did choose another one. And that is this one, which is called Franchise, The Golden Arches in Black America by Marsha Chatlin. Um, and so in its essence, it's about the uh, impact of fast food on the Black community and the Black community's impact on fast food, um, which you wouldn't necessarily see that other side until you start reading a lot about it. And so um, Chatlin is a, you know, accomplished journalist uh, and nonfiction writer. This is her second uh, book. Um, and at first I was like, oh, this feels like a little too dry for me. But man, then you really get into the story and the um, the inequalities, uh, which are unfortunately interesting. Um, or like you just want to keep knowing why this is happening and what's going on. Um, before I get into the rest of it, I will say like, if you've read Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond, which I know Anna uh, talked about on episode 126 this season, uh, I feel like there's a lot of similarities here. This is almost potentially like a little micro history into um, wealth disparities um, and that type of thing. Um, so essentially, um, this is tracing the lesser known history of fast food um, and the rise of McDonald's specifically and like the franchise businesses uh, because in case you didn't know mcdonald's are usually franchised uh, meaning that like they have local ownership but it's still like part of the corporate organization um and the way that that happened um and how uh you know there was uh, black people were left out of that or not given those same opportunities there was redlining in communities um not allowing them mcdonald's to go in certain areas of town uh, but then there's also the really lovely part about how mcdonald's was giving back to their community and investing in their community and the community's investment into their local mcdonald's um there are various instances of the of civil rights movements of sit downs or sit-ins um and also then during certain riots, how people didn't touch the McDonald's because they respected it. Um, and so it just really goes through all of this history, starting back in the, the 50s um, with the uh, organization of McDonald's, um, how it was also, by the way, originally created by a family called the McDonald's. It was basically stolen. They thought they were making a deal type of thing. But now I'm just like that that guy's name founder there's a whole movie about him called the ray croc ray croc Croc. yeah thank you so much okay um about how the the croc uh family ended up taking on this business which then became what it is known as today um and so there's just a couple like there's so much in this book um from the different intersection of uh calling for solidarity uh the the black power capitalism movement um 
and about how that all like intersects to each other. Um, so a couple quotes that I wanted to share was there's one from an article in a clue. Cleveland newspaper that was talking about the divergent ideas about what a black McDonald's means to black residents. Um, and essentially uh, the reporting said some members of the unity group want black owners of McDonald's franchises. Some want a structure of such a nature that profits will benefit the total black community. Some want McDonald's out of black neighborhoods. Um, and a lot of that is also going to talking about uh, food justice um, and the way that, you know, like I was saying earlier about the stigma around fast food and um, all of that type of stuff um, is really interesting. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have probably, hopefully, all seen the movie Coming to America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, the whole golden um, arcs uh, from McDowell's. Uh, and everything. So um, Chatlin does a little uh, section in here about that and how about how that was actually very representative of uh, McDonald's in black communities. Like when they do the, the, like, I don't know, the thing with the preacher out in the, the community uh, that I don't remember exactly what it is. It's not a town hall type situation, but like a fundraiser, a community fundraiser and like how McDonald's McDowell's, is involved in that and like that is very similar to like the early stages of uh mcdonald's involvement in communities um and some people like that some people didn't like that um i really loved uh the author's conclusion completely um it really summarized all of these types of facts and um put it into perspective but one of it one of the things i would like to share is this quote also Uh, Fast food seized on the moment and focused on building its own power rather than changing the features of its industry. Um, And I'll say that this also then goes into um, minimum wage, wealth gaps, um, the way then that uh, the federal government was also involved in these types of things of, you know, the, the, when I say wealth gap or the wage gap, I'm also referring to like the poverty gap of like how much you're, able to make and still be on welfare versus not be, but then also have a living wage and, you know, the, the gap there kind of thing. Um, not just also, also with like corporate top people versus the people actually doing the job in the restaurant type of thing. And yeah, just again about how they saw the, a, a poor urban community as a viable consumer market um, and, and, and that type of thing. Um, so I would just say that it's a really great book if you are looking to understand that intersection, like I had talked about, the how fast food became Black and why it means so much to Black communities. Um, it was a very persuasive article, but definitely uh, not, or not definitely, but I didn't really see bias in here as far as like, you know, pro-capitalism, anti-capitalism, like very matter of fact of when it's talking about uh, the different business practices and so forth. Um, So if that's something that you're interested in uh, and also again, looking for a book about food, this was fascinating franchise, the golden arches in black America. I just checked out the audio book. Oh, nice. And Oh, that was my other thing I was going to say. Guess who narrates it? Her her name is Michelle Williams, but it is not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the other famous Michelle Williams. So uh, that 
that I also was like, when it started, I was like, wait, what? Who yeah, is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 I was excited when I said that you're going to talk about this book, Michelle, because I it's been in my like for later list for a yeah. long time. So like, yeah, thank you for it's very captivating. Yeah, We're cool. Um, I'm going to talk about some fiction, and this is actually the first book I'm going to talk about is one of the my favorite things that I've read this year. It's called Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang. Um, you may remember like in years past of our uh podcast ellie really liking uh this author's book uh oh my how much of these hills are goals i think is the title of that one um and i checked that one out but i haven't started it yet because i liked this one so much um so this came out this year and the story takes place on top of a mountain primarily on like the italian french border and in like a just like a kind of near future it's not like hunt like super futuristic but it's like just like it's not right now but it could be now in like maybe 20 years you know um but the reality in this world is that food as we currently know it is not long it's no longer available in like a broad sense so like the freshest and most like highbrow ingredients are really like rare and they're only available to like the one person and our narrator has been a chef in like the normal world before it whatever has happened to the planet like it's smog is alluded to a lot but we don't really hear like what the precise disaster was that led to this like food shortage and like really heightened economic injustice that that exists in this world of the book so our narrator is uh, a chef and she's been hired to cook for um this ultra rich guy that owns uh this facility on the top of the mountain on this European border uh, where he is like up to like, he's, he's scheming something like he's like up to something that isn't good. She gets just bits and pieces of information. And uh, he hosts these uh, dinner parties with the intent to like impress his guests, like periodically and also to, to network. So there he like invite strategic people um, from different industries to try to, um, align them with whatever his kind of um, nefarious business purposes are. So the writing is really, it's melancholy. It's kind of a bleak subject matter, but it's also really lush. And I like, I love reading about descriptions of food. And this book has a lot of that. And the narrator is really introspective. So she's like always, you know, kind of like, it has a nice balance between like, like describing like these really like, um, like, tactile kind of things like tastes and feels but also like her thought process is really engaging as well and I like that this book like really hits on all the ways that like food can sustain you that aren't like just like purely survival like I have to eat this so I won't die um you know it talks about like memory like luxury like ideas of home ideas of like maybe something that's exotic to you like a treat or something that's like an expectation Um, It just made me think a lot about how food is such like a really powerful force. And I was maybe I'm probably really susceptible to this kind of book because I'm like obsessed with with food and like what I'm eating. So I was like, this lady is speaking my language. Um, But just all the ways that like the power of food are described or alluded to in this book really resonated with me. So um, it talks about how there's so much like magic in it, but also like the reverse of that is how much suffering there is if you're not the people with access 
to it. Um, so there's, there's also, there's like a love uh, subplot or maybe not even, a, there's a love story that's part of this book. So the, the ultra rich guy that um, is running this facility, he has a daughter, her name is Ada and she and the narrator slash chef um, begin a relationship. And there are some scenes where, uh, so for the most part, the chef is she's not allowed to leave the mountain. Um, but occasionally she gets to, and, uh, some of these times she's almost always with Ada when they go down, um, off the mountain and they go into town and, uh, these excursions do not go very well, um, as a general rule in the book, but it's a good illustration at these times of like the difference between like the haves and the have nots. And, um, I don't know, just you think a lot about personal relationships to food as you read this book too, and it's cultural significance. Uh, the chef, she's unnamed throughout the book. That's why I keep calling her the, the narrator slash chef. Cause I don't know what her name is. Um, her mother is an immigrant. And so she has a different relationship with food. Um, it means something different to the narrator. It means something different to Ada. It means something different to, um, to Ada's father. Um, and also made me think like, what are we really going to be eating at the end of the world, I hope it's not this like green mung bean flour. <laughs> like it seems like most people are eating that don't have any money. Um, but the ultra people are getting, you know, like fresh strawberries and exotic poultry and like, you know, truffles and these, you know, really luxe. Um, like luxe snow piercer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So reading this, it did like uh it made me it made me like want to try to like remember to savor ingredients in a way that I often forget to do and just like um appreciate like what I do have rather than pining for what I lack and it does like feel kind of bleak but ultimately I felt like it was a really hopeful story with a lot of redemption um and also some uh retribution <laughs> for some people but um yeah, that's The Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Shong. I really liked this book. Nice. Um, people, uh, just an FYI, if you haven't yet, go hit that notify button on your Libby app because we haven't bought the downloadable audio yet. So we need more people to put that little bell by it so we can get it. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle and I are trying real hard with yeah. the ones. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I mean, this one, what, how many pages was it, Anna? Do you recall? Um, I don't. It didn't seem like it was I mean, thick I when I've seen under, it in person. Yeah. Let me look real quick. It didn't feel like a long book. And I kind of tore through it because I was like, what's going to happen to all these yeah, people? Yeah. It's 232 pages. So okay. it's not, not yeah. long. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. My next book is another graphic novel. This one is nonfiction. It's The Comic Book Guide to Growing Food by Joseph Tikhanovich. Um I thought this was going to be like a really, I mean, it's still pretty light, but I thought this would be like a, just kind of cute. I didn't actually think that this would be super informative. And I'm going to say at the front of this, I've checked out a lot of gardening books and I've, I've read a lot of websites about gardening when I'm trying to like be better at my garden. And when I was setting up my garden and building my beds and if someone has never gardened and they're setting up their garden, this is the book that I would actually give them. I, it, is told through, which is also super cute, this narrative story, but gives you like all 
the essential and like very easy to understand basics of gardening. So the narrative setup is that there's these two neighbors, Mia, I'm assuming she's a millennial and George is um, older gentleman, uh, maybe a boomer. I don't know. Older gentleman, but they meet because she hears him like upset with his computer and she like helps him fix like figure out his computer it it felt like a very library moment because like, oh i've had that interaction before and as repayment he he has this beautiful garden and she doesn't know anything about gardening so he tells her he will teach teach her how to garden so the story the all the information that you're given is told through this uh this relationship of the two and like george telling mia like there's this cute joke throughout the whole thing where he's like the number one rule of gardening, but everything is like the number one rule of gardening. Um, but it goes through like, here's what you should be planting in your yard in certain spots. Here's how to figure out how much sunlight you get. Here's how to like what to plant when. Here's your planning schedule in like the most simple terms terms of like, here's how you figure out frost dates. Uh, and then make a list. Everything else is so very specific. But when I read this book, I was like, that's such an easier way to do it. I wish that I would not be trying to figure out like when is exactly two weeks before or after the frost date, blah, blah, blah. This was much more simple. Uh, it gives you basic instructions for building raised beds. It talks about soil testing. Um, it talks about like the things you should grow the first year if you've never grown any food and then the things that you can add later. Um, I... I was like just pleasantly surprised that this book like had things in it that I wasn't expecting, which one was like a cute intergenerational like friendship that develops and two like just the most helpful, simplest terms gardening book I've ever read. Um, so this is very it's upbeat. It's very accessible. Uh, I love pictures. So the whole thing is pictures, but also has actually very valuable information. And in the back of the information in the book, there's even more information. Um, the characters also bond over like George has spent 30 years tracking weather and frost dates in the area. And Mia just goes, oh, you just Google it. <laughs> and this is it. So there's a lot of like uh <laughs> boomer versus millennial like humor in the relationship uh very brightly colored uh charming illustrations so whether or not you just want a cute story about gardening friends or you actually truly want to try to garden he also talks about um uh container gardens and why you would do container gardens versus like planting in your yard so it doesn't have to be for people who just have a yard there's actually stuff for anybody who can like you have a an apartment um, balcony, you can do that too. And there's help in there too. So that's the comic book guide to growing food by Joseph Tikhanovich. Very cool. At first, when I saw it, I thought it was nonfiction, but it's fiction, but with like a lot of factual but it stuff is, in there. It's cat. I know. I thought that at yeah. first, but it is cataloged as nonfiction. Oh, so it okay. is nonfiction told because George and Mia are not real. I looked at the okay, authors. I yeah. was like, the authors yeah. are not George and Mia. Those are characters. Which I guess you could have in a nonfiction book. Yeah. Characters yeah, that deliver. Like, I'm trying to think. Of, they're just the like, tool like to examples. deliver the nonfiction yeah, information. Yeah. 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 yeah but, but it would yeah. be, it's in where you would find gardening books in nonfiction. 635. Okay. So, yeah. I'm really bad at gardening in the past few years that I've been trying to do it. So, I'm totally checking this book Check out. This book out. It, it is like helps. the simplest terms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love that. I need it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. 
Well, um, by a happy coincidence, uh, I realized that both uh, my other book, my fiction book, also has the word golden in it, which I just think is funny for me alone. But um, so uh, this book was getting tons of buzz at the beginning of the year. It had received a starred review from Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and Kirkus, which I don't, I think is kind of a rare thing for a book. Um, and so this is The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. It's also a debut novel. Um, and so... Yeah. Uh, so put yourself in the mind of the Great British Baking Show or the Bake Off, however you want to refer to it without getting sued, I guess, because I think that's why we have to call it the Baking Show versus the Bake Off because Pillsbury. Yep. Copyrighted. Bake Off. Thanks. Ridiculous. <laughs> I know. Anyways. Uh, so it's an American version of that type of thing, except it all happens in a week. So it is called Bake Week. <laughs> um, and so as a twist on this uh, baking competition show, it's led by Betsy Martin, who is essentially America's grandmother. Uh, so very beloved um, baker for many, many years and has had her own shows and this kind of thing. And so now she has this baking competition show. Um, and but the producers have kind of forced her into introducing a co-host to the series. Um, and so now they have, you know, youngin and brash young man, Archie Morris, who is co-hosting the show with her. Um, and they are also hosting the show at her estate uh, in Vermont. Um, and so all the six contestants are going to be there for the show, ready to, you know, prove their culinary skills uh, and win bake week because it's everybody's dream. Uh, so it's five days at this estate. I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but this, my friends, is a mystery. It is a locked room mystery, which is one of my absolute favorite uh, genres. So um, we do have kind of a classic whodunit. So because guess what? Things start, start not working. There's a sabotage in the in the competition, you know, swapped out sugar for or salt. Um, you know, ovens turned off, ovens turned too high, all of this classic like shenanigans that um uh, turn into a bigger uh murder. <laughs> um, and so someone dies. Um and everybody's like, oh no. Um and again I read this quite a bit ago, but what I remember was the climax of it all. Um, each We are also getting a multi-perspective of these it flips from the different contestants, our characters, and Betsy herself. And we're learning about their true um, agenda of why they are on Bake Week. Um, and some of them are there to for Bake Week, some of them not so much. Um, and so it culminates in, you know, murder, mayhem, um, uh what um a thunderstorm a blackout like all of this kind of pretty intense scary stuff um happening uh confessions uh and all of that kind of stuff um uh, to find out you know lots of uh hidden agendas um and hidden histories of our contestants uh and Betsy herself if i may say so uh it was really really fun very well done and then of course while researching the book i found out that it was option for a hulu miniseries so maybe we'll see that coming soon um 
So if you like an ensemble cast, you like a um, very atmospheric, you know, you are in Vermont, you are in this mansion. May I say the mansion maybe is its own character with all of its different rooms and all those hidden things within it. Um, you know, if I also remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Betsy has like a don't go there part of the the house, uh, which of course is like, ma'am, you can't do that. <laughs> so um, if and again, baking competitions uh, is pretty fun uh, theme in itself. And so uh, I think Jessa Maxwell did a really good job with connecting all of our our pieces and such for us. Um, so this one would also count for a reading challenge about a book about a movie or a TV show. So if you haven't checked off that one, but would also like a book about food, The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. Yeah. I feel like this perfectly illustrates why there can't be an American bake-off because <laughs> Americans are too competitive that they'll little, eventually kill somebody. Literal cutthroat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why bake-off and get violence baking show is so like comforting because everybody loves each other and like yeah, oh yeah. we're so sad somebody's going home yeah. this week but uh-huh. like americans would just murder somebody like, yeah. <laughs> someone's yeah. arm or their yeah. fingers <laughs> uh-huh yeah um, definitely the sabotage i think would be a bigger thing yes oh, oh ridiculous Grim. yeah uh, Michelle, your comment about lawsuits reminded me, um, have you guys heard of the Taco Tuesday lawsuit that happened? Like, no, <laughs> like Taco John's apparently Taco John's and Taco Bell got into this oh. was like earlier this year. Um, so I guess Taco John's had a trademark for the phrase Taco Tuesday, which seems like kind of crazy, but they had it since 1989 and Taco Bell challenged this and they were in this legal battle and it ultimately, um, ended up that Taco Bell prevailed and like um now anyone can use the phrase Taco Tuesday without uh being stepping on uh Taco John's intellectual property. Yeah. (laughs) What a world, y'all. Um all right. My second book is called Kitchen by Banana Yoshitomo. And it's actually like a novella. It's really slim to be honest. That's part a lot of why I chose to read it because I was like, I gotta read something new. I don't have a lot of time. So it's actually two uh short stories within this book. Uh, they're kind of long short stories, I guess, for the in the world of short stories. So uh what the stories have in common, it's the you know sparse writing and themes of like loss, acceptance and recovery and and death that kind of permeate uh both of these stories. But it's also like the first story is the one that really applies to food and that's the one that's titled Kitchen. And it's very much about how like love, friendship and fried foods can be healing, which is uh, a very sweet, it comes across in a very sweet way in this book. So uh, Kitchen is about a young woman who uh, just experienced the death of her grandmother. And that was like her last living relative. So now she's like alone in the world. And the only place she's finding comfort after this is like in the kitchen and not just hers, but also she's developing uh, like an intimate relationship with a, another family who becomes like her her found family. She eventually moves in with them. And the kitchen is just where she feels nourished herself and also where she gets joy from nourishing other people. Um, so just spending time in that environment and then coupled with like the comfort she's getting from this new group of people that she's spending time with and finding support from, she uh, just like preparing food for others becomes her identity and ultimately her her career and it helps her 
begin the, the, the healing process through grief, which, you know, readers will will find if you read this, it goes like kind of up and down throughout the story, which in my experience has been very, it's very much like, like real life grief processing, you know, some days you're fine. Some days you're really not. And it's just all like a, a ride. Uh, but her, the way she describes like, just like the warmth and experience of being in the kitchen and just like the care with which she approaches really, like kind of mundane actions like boiling water for tea or like slicing up some carrots for a soup or whatever. Like it just, it's all very tender and sweet. Um, and they just, I felt like there was a lot to unpack about like the idea of nourishment in this book and the, the writing's really straightforward, but it's also really thought provoking. Like the characters just like, will say like, kind of like, I mean, like, things you kind of how you wish people would speak in real life, like just speak very plainly about what they're feeling, just like super like direct a lot of the time. Um, and it's just like a quietly impactful little book. So like I mentioned that this story is covered pretty heavy themes like of death and loss, but I felt like like the lightness of the writing and like the, the affability of the characters made these kind of harsh realities seem like kind of gentle almost, like just a peaceful approach to to like tragedy in your life um and it made me think like it's kind of like eating like your favorite comfort food in a way where like you you know you're going through something and you just you're kind of looking for um comfort you know wherever you can get it and for a lot of people that's like something you're eating or drinking or just you know something that is um a comfort for you uh so it's kitchen by banana yoshitomo and I wanted to also just shout out a few other books that I feel like I've talked about some on the podcast before, but maybe some I haven't, but just books are, are related to food that our listeners might also be able to pull from for Reading Challenge Inspo. Uh, we talked about the Family Chow um, and our, one of our book club episodes. And that is like, um, yeah, it's not just about food, but I feel like food like is such a strong presence in that book. That would be a great pick for this. Uh, it's by Samantha Lan Chang. Um, I read a book a while ago called Tastemakers, Seven Immigrant Women Who Revolutionized Food in America. Um, I forgot to grab the author's name, but I really liked that book too. Um, Eat a Peach by David Chang is like a chef's memoir. Um, it's a lot about mental health, but also a lot about food and the restaurant industry. Um, On the Noodle Road by Jen Lin Wee is uh, like a, a kind of micro history, I guess, about a woman who's trying to like find out like who made the first noodle was it China was it Italy um that book is a really like interesting little story and then I wish I remembered this book better and I was like I need to like reread it or something uh I read this one probably like 10 years ago um or maybe like seven years it's been a long time uh but there's a book called The Telling Room which we have an ebook uh the subtitle is A Tale of Love Betrayal Revenge and the World's Greatest Piece of Cheese by Michael Paterniti and I remember really enjoying the book but I don't remember like the details of what happens <laughs> but there's like a um the, the author goes to Europe, he tries like some cheese in the States, and then he wants to like, it's like really hard to find here. And he goes to, um, to Spain, where this cheese is from. And as he's trying to figure out like, who makes this cheese, the history of it, he just it's like this wild, like family story that like, is like, been lasting for like decades, like, it's just like a with lots of like, twists and turns. And um, yeah, that's also a fun food book um yeah nice michelle 
All right, friends, it is time for a McKinnon's Corner. If you will join me in a do 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 do. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um, which oh man, I should have had us do it like a food truck type of noise or something. That a little jingle or something. The ding ding man. The ding ding man. That's a good question. Yeah. Is he the ice cream man to you or the ding ding man? We've talked about this because Michelle introduced me to the ding ding man, and I've never heard that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Side tangent. Uh, you know the song "Down by the Banks." Like, that's also like "Down by the Banks," with. Oh, now I can't remember it. But like it's a little slappy thing about the frogs and eeps, ips, oops, oops. It's, oh. And like maybe. everybody has a different way of saying it. There's like a mm-hmm. really fun thread on TikTok about like people and like them putting like a little thing about like where they are and how they sing it. Yeah. That's stuff is fascinating. fascinating. Very cultural, like yeah. Anyways, um, all right. So every once in a while, like unintentionally uh we have some books about food so if you're looking for a picture book for for you and your your fam or just for you um about food here we go um if you haven't read any of uh the books by raul the third you are missing out please go pick one up um part of the vamos series um and so um the first one being vamos let's go eat was a piero belpre medal winner um for his illustrations um and then we have, uh, which obviously that one itself is great and all about food. It's food trucks and them going to different food trucks and that type of thing. But more recently, we picked up uh, Vamos, Let's Go, Let's Cross the Bridge, um, which this one came out in 2021. And it is about people that are crossing a bit bridge to go from one place to another, um, one place where they speak English and one place where they speak Spanish. And they do cross the bridge to work, to visit family, to play and all these types of things. So little Lobo, our, our main guy and his dog are on their way um, for the big celebration. Um, and so they're bringing party supplies and all of that and going across their bridge. Um, but it's a really long line and they're kind of stuck on the bridge. And so during that time, they're making friends, they're meeting the other people. And then when they're like, oh, I'm so hungry, all the food trucks turn on and then you get all the different types of food coming out and people just having a part, an epic party right there on the bridge that's happening right there between these two countries, um, which is just a really lovely story. And I love Raul the Third's uh, illustrations. They are very detailed the two-page spread is telling its own story. There's all these little things happening in all of them, um, different side dialogue and that type of thing. They're really cute. Um, and then also jumping back 10 years um, to 2012, finally picked up Creepy Carrots by Aaron Reynolds, excuse me, Aaron Reynolds, illustrated by Peter Brown, a, a, a classic by all means for us now. Um, and McKinnon, love this one we have read it so many times and we also just checked out the other creepy books um creepy <laughs> the creepy underwear and the creepy crayon um and stuff and so very excited to read those but creepy carrots was really funny i had never read it before and so reading it aloud to him for the first time was also just so funny to, for me um but jasper rabbit likes going back and forth on his way uh to school and all of his other activities passes by a carrot field um and loves to just grab all these carrots and chomp 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 them down until one day he's look behind him and in the shadows there are these carrots that are following him but every time somebody else looks or he tries to look directly at him 
it's not a carrot. It's a like a flower pot that looks that's orange or um it's uh i don't know it's a bunch of other things that are not the actual carrots but it is a carrots uh so finally though jasper rabbit has is scared and so he decides to build a giant wall and a moat fill it with alligators and all this to trap the carrots in so they can never get to him again and he feels very relieved because then the Carrots aren't attacking him anymore. And guess who else is very relieved? The carrots. Because they their plan worked, and now Jasper is no longer going through their field and eating them. <laughs> Spoiler, by the way, but it was very fun. Amazing. Yeah. Super cute. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, if you haven't read also, We Don't Eat Our Classmates, which I believe Creepy Carrots and this one were also... Um, like Golden Silver nominees or winners at some point. Um, we Don't Eat Our Classmates, written and illustrated by Ryan T. Higgins. It's about our friendly, well, not super friendly, uh, <laughs> Penelope, the d- Tyrannosaurus Rex that goes into her classroom that is f- filled with human children. Again, sometimes you just have to really expand your imagination for a children's book sometimes. But So Penelope is like, these are delicious humans i would like to eat all of them (laughs) um and and so she like bites them um and then it's like penelope we do not eat our classmates and it's like repetitive and stuff until one day the class pet bites penelope and now penelope i guess has learned empathy and no longer wants to bite the other children the first time i read this i was very mad about it because i was like oh really that's the only way she learned and then, you know, you become a parent and you, you have a child that bites other people and you're like, oh, yep. Sometimes that is the only way that you can learn. <laughs> <laughs> Empathy is really nice be- when you can't experience the same things, but when you can't experience it to learn is, is also very valuable. So uh, Penelope is also one of our costume characters. Uh, so sometimes you might uh, see Penelope at any of our costume character events. So keep an eye out for that. Should you want to, this is also a series and there's like other books featuring Penelope. So yeah, that nice. is uh McKinnon's corner for food books. Do 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 ding, ding. I did not know that Penelope ate her classmates. I've only ever seen like, oh. her little giant yes. head on her overall yes. body. There's like <laughs> literally an image of her like pulling the child and it's like dripping with the wow. saliva out of her mouth. Penelope. Wow. <laughs> like, that's rude. Serious yeah. for a kid's book. Truly. It's some of these kids, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to talk about? Should we do query? Yeah. Cool. Uh, I guess we will say if you don't like any of our suggestions, which first, how dare you? But second, <laughs> we have lists on the OPL website for more selections for this reading challenge. So if you need other uh, ideas, go there. So for query this week, the question is, what's your favorite weird food combo? Uh, so what are things that you kind of like to eat together or flavors that you like to put together that maybe are not of the norm? Anna, do you have one? Yeah. And I don't eat this very often. Um, I feel like probably a lot of things to eat, other people would be like, oh, that's weird. But like a weird thing to me to eat. And this is a thing that my mom introduced me to are peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. Um, wow. It has to be a certain kind of pickle, like a dill pickle. Um, sweet pickle is not okay. But okay. yeah, once in a while, I'll eat that for like a it's, little snack. So like a- just 
so just pickle and peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Just pickle and peanut butter. Yeah. I put a pretty thick layer. Of, actually, I had one of these like two weeks ago, but that was the first time in like six months maybe that I'd eaten one. Um, yeah. And I think like uh, I often will like toast. I usually toast my olive bread I eat because the gluten-free bread I eat just tastes better mm-hmm. toasted. Uh, but yeah, toast. Wow. Okay. Peanut butter. Oof. Thin slices of dill pickle. It's satisfying. Yes. Okay. Love it. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Michelle? <laughs> I was trying to think about like, and I was like, well, the original one I had thought about when we were talking about the question was I love peanut butter M&Ms in hot popcorn and like the mm-hmm. way that it melts then the peanut butter M&M in the popcorn and like you bite into it, it just like melts all over. Um, but I'm like, also like, I don't know. I don't think that's, a, that's weird. Um, but last night we were having a classic in the Carlson house, uh, which is fish sticks and mac and cheese. And the way I love tartar sauce and mac and cheese in a spoonful, I feel like can be a little weird. <laughs> so, like it. if it's left over on the plate, you just all in. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Some things to try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I have like really out off the wall. I am one of those people who loves to dip French fries in ice cream, like a frosty oh, uh-huh. from yeah, Wendy's. Sure. And, oh, love that. Um, I don't do this as much anymore because I also just don't like eat bread in the. I don't like keep like a loaf of bread around the house. But as a kid, I liked to. This probably comes from my dad. I'm sure my dad taught me this. Um, dip toasted bread tip dip to dip toast in chocolate milk and just eat it oh. it's actually like really delicious and i like i don't do it anymore but i think about it sometimes i'm like gosh it's, not, it's, it's really good it's so weird try it and see if it yes yeah, i can yeah. see if it's still yeah, good it's just like regular yeah. white bread slightly toasted yeah. dip it into chocolate cold chocolate milk and eat it um the only other thing I can think about is something I just discovered. I don't think I'm going to do this regularly, but I was, uh, I bought some candy at work the other day and I was eating a little crunch bar and I was drinking a lime Perrier and together the chocolate lime Ooh. It was really, I was like, that's a great flavor combo. So hot tip, <laughs> lime <laughs> and chocolate, specifically crunch bars. Love nice. it. Ugh, I love a crunch bar. Okay, we got some listener responses, some more interesting things I'm excited to talk about. <laughs> I can't wait. This is great. And uh, yeah, uh, should I start? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was Isabel. I cannot. This is the thing. On my team. Uh, she also enjoys a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Um, and then Anonymous enjoys potato chips and A1 steak sauce. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, David says, Star Deli and Benson has a sandwich called the Jalapeno Popper Grilled Cheese, where it has cream cheese, strawberry jam, cheddar, fried onions, and of course, jalapenos. Wild combination of flavors and one of the best sandwiches I have ever had. All right. Uh, and Laura shares uh, kettle corn and orange juice, not eaten together like cereal. Orange juice is just my beverage of choice with microwave kettle corn. Oh, you would have really had me though. Otherwise, Laura. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then Angeline shares, I've been waiting for this question. She has two. So number one, Cheetos and applesauce. Dip some crunchy Cheetos into some applesauce and it's delicious. 
Angelina's also my toddler baby. <laughs> oh, here we go, Erin. Chocolate milk and grilled cheese. Take your grilled cheese, dunk it into the chocolate milk, and take a big bite. Mm. That's a whole other level. I don't. I wow. might try. I don't know. Okay, that does sound. I I think I could get behind it a little more with like the cheese on it. Maybe it's like a. I don't but know. Cheese and chocolate. That is where I get hung up. Okay, pickle and peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Chocolate, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other combos like that. Yeah. Uh, Colby says boiled eggs and mustard sauce, which I feel like, I mean, boiled egg is like a thing that doesn't sound appetizing to me, but I feel like I can see that for sure. Uh, Giselle says, don't know if this counts as weird, but I have to have mayo on my hot dogs. Yeah. And then. mayonnaise yeah yeah Yeah. so good on so many things uh and mather says yeast flakes and spike which is a certain type of seasoning on popcorn so she said maybe not that weird but it's very specific (laughs) so okay i am very okay anna just before we go what kind of peanut butter like oh is it creamy or crunchy yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't really have a preference honestly like we usually have uh crunchy and on bread i feel like Mm-hmm. on bread i do feel like like the bread i grew up eating was like you know not like it was like you know the soft like wonder bread like white soft bread. sandwich yeah well it was like wheat bread always we okay. eat, yeah, but like it was still Ooh. like soft yeah um, and i feel like that was better than like the bread i experience today like the it, like the mm. soft bread is better than like gluten-free toast. Oh, toast. Okay. Yeah, like toasted bread. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, gluten-free bread is a struggle um, in general. But like, but yeah, but it is still, yeah, satisfying. I but love pickles. I don't eat it very often. I don't eat a ton of peanut butter by itself or like it mm-hmm. with chocolate, but I'm, this seems so strange to me that I am like interested in just trying it like I, one time. You have to see. let me know if you do experiment. And if you hate it, I won't, it won't hurt my feelings. No, I'm, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated that this is a cultural thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like people put like but... cheese and vodka. Like I just have you ever seen what? that? Oh no, so weird. In or, it? Yeah, or cheese on pie, apple pie. Oh yes. yeah, I my grandpa did that. Yeah, I could never get. My, my dad Video? loves it. He always says yeah. it's a taxi driver thing. You know, for the movie, I think De Niro <laughs> did it. I was like, okay, that's your idol. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> New York Times cooking, which you can access through your Omaha Public Library card, has a peanut butter and pickle sandwich recipe. <gasps> well, <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, yeah. I'm going to try it. I'm going to refer back to you. And they look, they use like a soft white bread, it looks okay. like. So I do think that's probably the ideal. They also okay. have a recipe for peanut butter sandwich with sriracha and pickles, which I don't Ooh. know. Like, I do like a hot sauce. <sighs> But, uh, I do make a grilled cheese with kimchi, and it is that's so amazing. That yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Now I'm just gonna get hungry. Well, listeners, as you go into the holiday season, I hope you have some interesting food combos. Uh, watch OPL social media on Fridays for new episodes and see your upcoming query. Uh, you can send us an email for any reason at the book drop at omahalibrary.org. And we will make a list of everything that we talked about today, including hopefully that recipe of peanut butter and pickle sandwich from the New York Times. Um, and just a heads up, this is our second to last episode for the season. We will have one more um, and then we will be back in the second week of January 2024. So that's our episode. Thanks for joining us on the book drop. 
The Book Drop is produced by Omaha Public Library. Our theme music is Trapped in Amber, courtesy of the band Lucid Fugue. Don't forget to subscribe to The Book Drop on your favorite podcast app and like and follow Omaha Public Library on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time on The Book Drop. <laughs>